what I feel about these places is a form of love. When I when I when I really develop a crush on them, it's 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 serious. And and I it's always that idea of I want to go back. Like so many of you, I am a sucker for a best of list, especially when it comes to restaurants. And for my money, no one does these lists better than my guest on this week's Hot Takes on a Plate, Esquire Magazine's food and drinks editor, Jeff Gordonier. And Jeff, besides the fact that you're one of my favorite food writers and you have such a gift for the craft, I love your lists because while, yes, there are often similarities with other lists like this, your picks that are different from the others show me as a, they, 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 they say to me that you're a journalist attempting to take a road less traveled. You're attempting to look beyond the obvious. You're attempting to truly spread the love and make lists that are representative of this country, not just geographically, but also racially and ethnically. Well, that's incredibly nice of you to say, Rob. Thank you. I'm a little, I'm stunned. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much. Everyone read the list. Good. See you around. <laughs> I mean, uh, listen, I mean, I love what, Kushbu Shah does have food and wine. I, yes, I will. She's also been on this podcast, by the way. She's great. Her her list and her write ups are brilliant. And uh, you know my my supposed nemesis, Grant Martin at GQ. You know GQ and Esquire. We go to head to head. I mean, he's brilliant. Um, I love a list. I got to tell you, I have always been that way. Best records of the year. Best films of the year. I've always, since I was a little kid, I always ate that stuff up and I like to dispute it with my friends. Um, so, um, as you can see, uh, yes, the Esquire did a best new restaurants list 2020, <laughs> which made yes. some people listening to wonder why. And how. now look, I, look, I've got to be honest here. Okay. Reading your lists in the past filled me with joy because okay. I'd see places that I that I've been to and loved, I, places I couldn't wait to visit, places I knew I never would visit but were kind of fun to dream about. But now, it all makes me a little bit resentful because <laughs> you and Kevin were out there living life, you're having fun, and I'm been stuck doing takeout you know, save for a couple of outdoor dining experiences for almost a year now, and I know a lot of people who they get this feeling where they're, they're looking at, at Instagram and they see people going on vacations during a global pandemic and doing all these things and acting like life is kind of normal and being like, but wait, I'm cooped up in my house and I'm not doing these things. And, and there's this internal struggle and, you know, I don't want it to sound like I'm throwing shade here, but like, do you worry about the reaction that some people may have to this list this year? I don't really worry about it because because we've been fairly transparent about the context and, and the methods. And I will just come out and tell you that I have been cooped up in this very room looking at the Hudson River for months myself. I have. I know. I see your Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I've rarely ventured out. So it was not like this list was put together with me just gallivanting around the country during the summer. Um, we tend to ship our best new restaurants list to the printers around mid-October. I'm usually fiddling with it, adding last-minute entries, driving my editors up the wall up until about October 15th or 20th or something where they say stop. So at that point, I tend to take a little time off. And then come November, I start again. So November 2019 to March 11th, 
2020, I was already scouting for best new restaurants uh, 2020 because these restaurants don't necessarily open in 2020. We, we, we're kind of generous. Uh, Newish restaurants. Yeah, when it comes to the time, the space time continuum, we're, we're sort of wide open on that. But, it's um, like when Fountains of Wayne won a Grammy for best new artist. It was like, come on, people. Yeah, but it doesn't really, I mean, time is a fiction <laughs> right now anyway. So, um, so like, from November to March, I went to Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Indianapolis, Philadelphia. I was going all over the place. And at that point, you know, that we were not being told to do otherwise. And 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 only toward the end of it did I start to get a sense that I should stop. You know, and at a certain point, I actually had a reservation at Dot Toscano in New York City for March 17th. I remember it vividly. It was on my Google calendar. I was going to have a date night with Lauren my wife and uh we were really looking forward to it and she was she's the far more sensible one in the couple here and she was like babe we're not going <laughs> <laughs> well at that point i'm pretty sure if my timeline is right in my head you wouldn't have had a choice anyway no we, i think the, I mean, the restaurants get shut down on the 16th i think of march was it yeah but I, you know we, it's slow to you, you can be yeah it's slow to adapt to reality you know i'm sitting there like i've gone to restaurants all my life whatever we'll just go whatever and then you're like wait oh no we so what was your last before the the doomsday i guess of mid-march what was your last restaurant meal do you remember yeah I remember vividly, I was already feeling anxious about taking subways and stuff. It would have been probably March 11th. Uh, I took the Metro North into the city. I live north of the city in the Hudson Valley for your listeners. Um, took the train in, walked from Grand Central to Thai Diner, which is a terrific restaurant from the Uncle Boone's duo. And I went with actually Phil Rosenthal, that dude from TV, from somebody. That dude, Bill. yep. Yeah. And my editor, Kevin Sintumong. And uh, some other friends, Paulette Goto, who's a, a, a baker who's on TV a lot, brilliant uh, talent. And um, then I walked to Brooklyn uh, to, to hear uh, Melissa Clark, my friend from the New York Times, talk about her new cookbook at that time. And just before I went to hear Melissa, I went to Fausto for a bowl of pasta. So then, then the Melissa Clark that was like the last kind of event with people. Like I saw David Wondrich, who was, you know, a predecessor of mine at Esquire and a lot of really cool pe people I love. And, and my wife is like texting me, don't take the train home, take the Uber home. This shit is getting real. Like she was, you know, I was like, just, she's like, take the Uber home and don't leave now. Like, it was happening. You could feel it almost like. Yeah. A oh, no, on. I remember. It's funny you said March 11th. That date is seared in my head. That was the last podcast I recorded in person. Yeah. And I recorded it at a restaurant. I visited a friend of mine, a chef friend of mine, Mark Anthony Bynum, who yeah. was consulting at a restaurant in my neighborhood at the time. And I remember going into it saying like we weren't socially distancing at the time. That wasn't even a, a phrase. It wasn't anything in our vernacular. But I remember thinking things like, you know, when I set up the mic in front of him, I'm going to take the little cover off of it and just leave the metal so I can sanitize it afterwards because, yeah. you know, people talk into mics. And and I remember like kind of like, you know, do, do we shake hands? Are we elbow bumping? You know, that whole awkward, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's it's like I, I think my last meal at a restaurant was, oh, I'm drawing a, was it, was it? Is it, is it Don Pepe's The Place in Queens? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went there with uh, Mike Puma. He's the guy who's got the Gotham Burger Social Club Instagram, you oh, know, yeah. and, and and a bunch of other guys. And and it was very, uh, 
it was it was like weird because we were all kind of looking around like it was that that vibe. I don't remember the date. It was probably a week or two before that, but it was that feeling. You could feel it in the air. Like we were all washing our hands about four times during the meal and like yeah. kind of just are we allowed? It's big. It's family style. But should we be sharing? Like there was just a there was an energy. Well, I'll tell you, Rob, looking back at March 11th, we should not have gone to Thai no. Diner. That was dumb. It, by the way, is a fantastic restaurant. You should go get takeout, eat outside, whatever. But that particular day, there was a table. I think there were six of us at the table. The place was packed. It was pumping. Everybody's bumping into each other. Like, I look back through the lens of the sci-fi movie we live in now, and that was just like a potential super spreader event that we were just unaware of. And, you know, I just, we hadn't learned yet. So, you know, anyway, I came home and... As far as I remember, basically stayed in this very room, which is my daughter's bedroom most of the time. She's at college now. And it's my office. And, um, you know, okay, so to, so so for context, at that point, I thought, well, Esquire Best New Restaurants. What are we going to do? I mean, I, we have a, I have some picks already from Cleveland, uh, certainly from St. Louis. We got a couple. And the one that I already thought could be our number one in Philadelphia. But you can't have a list that's just the Midwest and New York. Best you know? new restaurants, Midwest. And Esquire. Best, I mean, you just can't. So I was, I kind of honestly figured we'd have to, we'd have to call it a day, you know, for our own safety, for the safety of uh, the people we'd encounter. Um, but, you know, then slowly things started to open up. There were different options, takeout. Um, and a- along the way, my editor, Kevin Sintumong, uh, who lives in Brooklyn with his wife and two daughters who are, you know, um, under teen age, you know, they're young. And I, I, I can't, I mean, you know, Kevin, I think candidly, he was yeah. going a little stir crazy in this house and in, in their apartment in Brooklyn. So they decided kind of on a whim to drive across the country. I, when I had him on this podcast, I talked to him during that trip. Oh yeah. So, so he and Tara, his wife and their, their wonderful daughters drove all the way to California, all over California and back testing many times along the way, stopping for quarantine. I mean, he, he, um, as far as I could tell, cause it was a long, slow trip. I mean, it took weeks. It, like he, he observed all the necessary protocols and I was kind of like Cyrano de Bergerac, you know, like I was, I was, I was on the little mic you know, into his earpiece telling him where to eat because I had mapped out, you know, those of us who do these lists, we map out some spots that are of interest to us for various reasons. And our friend Omar Mamoon in San Francisco, he's a contributor and a great, great friend of the magazine. He gave us some tips. So anyway, Kevin came back having hit places he loved in Chicago, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Kansas City. And um, I also took a very quick little two-day road trip with my 14-year-old son, Toby, to Washington, D.C., which at that time you didn't have to quarantine. And we just, you know, we our contact was super limited. And I hit um, Albee. Uh, I, I hit um, Picolina. I hit ABC Pony. At that point, with Kevin's picks, my picks from before – the shutdowns and the picks from my little DC trip, we thought we actually have a list. We have a lot of places we fell in love with, which, which is what this boils down to. And I thought we just, what's really underrepresented is the South 
And there's one place in particular in North Carolina in Charlotte that just sounds fantastic to me. It's called Leah and Louise. I need to, I need to go there. Um, again, transparency, I admit we, we didn't get to Birmingham, Alabama. We didn't get to Texas for safety reasons uh, because of the way the pandemic was expressing itself, I suppose you'd say. We couldn't go to some places, so we'll try to yeah. go back next year. But like, look, you said it in the article. Yeah. You said you admitted in the piece you wouldn't get on a plane during COVID. I didn't want to get on a plane, nor did Kevin. So we did a lot of driving. I mean, I drove all over the Hudson Valley, and then and I ended up hitting Baltimore, Richmond, Virginia, and um, and Charlotte, North Carolina. And let me tell you, I mean, it was worth it because when I got to Leah and Louise, this incredible restaurant run by uh, Chef Greg Collier, Collier and his wife Sabrina. It was it was super special place. And I I mean, I sat outside, wore my mask, didn't really I mean, I ate alone, you know, but I, I gorged myself. The food was incredible. He's an absolutely charismatic uh, chef who's going to be a big star. And, you know, so um, let me tell you, though, my, my, the trip, I, I rented a car and my, my I, I mean, I was driving through like hurricane rains and stuff because it was at the time when the hurricane kind of. Uh, runoff or whatever like that was what's going through the south i mean my back was totally fucked up i had to go to get acupuncture when i came back two sessions with Dodie chang this brilliant acupuncturist and friend who has rescued me many times because i could i could barely unclench myself I was, mm. um it, i i'm you know i'm 53 so just like sitting in the car for hours and trying to limit contact with anyone no i i know the feeling i mean i'm 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 42 now and i have i have a physical therapist and all these things i didn't know i i would need at any point in my life with with just sitting in the car and and all of that so yes that yeah. the, there there's definitely uh some battle scars from from your trips it yeah. sounds like but i felt i felt after that trip you know, my wife was like, you went to North Carolina and Virginia. So, you know, based on the, the laws, you have to observe the quarantine now. So, I mean, but I felt that that was that was worth doing that. And it was worth going through that effort to give our audience, to give our readers a list that has as much integrity as we can bring to it. I mean, we did we didn't get to Florida. You know, it, it, it's it's upsetting to me because there's places I've scouted out i've got them on my list here on this laptop and um we didn't get to them but because we're not too strict about the space-time continuum part you know maybe we include them next year so um like for instance this year we include field trip in harlem um which technically opened maybe midway through 2019 um but to me it really hit its stride this year you know it, it, it i i went back the food had gotten the food was always good but it gotten absolutely excellent he had this incredible gumbo and during the pandemic field trip played a real role in fe feeding healthcare workers um we're picking the best restaurants in terms of food and hospitality but we're also picking restaurants that are emblematic of the narrative of any given year and so it struck me that field trip mattered so much in that way as well you know so so it's this that's the thing you know i mean i and, and in terms of why i mean honestly i felt like these places need a shot in the arm uh, i mean a lot of them are struggling everyone's struggling and um if we can hail them and celebrate them a little bit maybe that helps them raise investment to get through maybe it helps them uh 
endure, um, either in terms of emotional support or, or financial support they can raise, then, you know, we want Esquire is a brand. Uh, if you look back at the history, this is a magazine that kind of pioneered this best new restaurants thing. And, uh, you know, so it's a rest. We believe in restaurants. We love restaurants. We love chefs and we love the, uh, the role that they play, that restaurants play in our lives, you know, which I think we're all missing more than ever. So that's kind of the why, you know. But th- but here's the challenge to yeah. that. So I I don't disagree with anything that you just said. And these restaurants m- most definitely need a shot in the arm right now. Yeah. The challenge is you're you're doing this in a way where you sound like like a like a like a like a war correspondent. You know, <laughs> you're, the way you're talking about the way you had yeah. to approach all this. I mean, a lot of your 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 colleagues at other publications, a lot of critics and 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 restaurant journalists and whatnot, like they have said publicly, like they don't feel comfortable going to a restaurant right now. Yeah. They're they're not pushing forward that way. And <laughs> the challenge when you're doing a list like this is it's all framed in the context of eating out. It's about it's so it, even though it's about the food, it's so much about the experience of being in a restaurant and this all begs the question is it even safe to eat at restaurants right now well to to the extent that um you know i mean i I would i would put it this way like it's not up to us as a magazine to determine whether or not restaurants should be open right now you know based on what we're seeing the surge in terms of the virus uh the numbers we're seeing in terms of hospital hospitalizations and deaths probably some um, mass shutdown is in order right now, you know, and, and I'm starting to reel back in terms of whether I'll go to restaurants already. It's, it's clear that in a way we're revisiting March 11th. We have to rethink again. Um, there was a time during the summer in particular where eating outside, observing the, the protocols, wearing your mask, it did feel safe. And if, and, and, and places seem to be very strictly observing the rules. Um, I felt safe. And my and, and, and also in terms of, you know, you're concerned about your own you're getting the virus. Of course, you're also concerned about passing it along to anyone. And 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 you know, we all have to be mindful of that and careful about that. Um so I think the first time I even went back to Manhattan probably was August. I mean, like I I stayed home for months and then because of what I was reading, because what I was reading about outdoor dining and the relative safety, I felt that I would do it, you know? And so we went to La Crocodile in Brooklyn. I think that was the first place, I think that was the first place I ate outside maybe. And then uh, I took my daughter Margo in to the city to eat at Da Toscano in the West Village in Manhattan outside. Um, and contact with with servers and everything was extremely limited. You know, it it just felt safe. But I understand everyone's caution, and I understand people who've taken a harder line on it. I respect that. You know, I mean, Kevin Sintomong and I decided to um, honor these restaurants sort of where they were. You know, like we we were not looking for what you said is the full experience. I I didn't expect right hospitality to be perfect or I'm, there aren't any fancy tasting menus. We were essentially judging most of these places based on the conditions of outdoor dining, um, the protocols of the pandemic. In many cases, actually takeout. You know, I mean, um, two of the places 
uh, I, I maybe more, but I know two in particular, Kevin Sitomong essentially just got takeout from them. One, one was Fox and Pearl in Kansas City, which I believe he just took back to his hotel room. And, and um, a place uh, called Palm City, which is a restaurant. It was going to be a restaurant in San Francisco. They couldn't really do a restaurant because of what we're experiencing. So they turned it into a hoagie place with bottles of natural wine. So uh, Kevin Sintemong went to Palm City with Omar Mamoon. They got some hoagies. They got a bottle of wine. They went to the beach. That- and you know what? The, I, the the irony is I feel like the the pandemic is almost forcing you to write in a way that is more realistic to how people eat on the regular anyway, yeah, right? Because like, because so many of these lists, I'm not saying your list, but so many of these lists, it, you know, you get the most fine dining, and and look, these lists have evolved over the years, you know, where you're getting a little bit, a lot more casual and whatnot. But the, a lot of these restaurants, when you see a lot of these lists, they fall under a certain aesthetic, a certain style, a certain whatever. But like, you know, even yourself, like, you know, you you eat at at Irvington Delight, you know, and you eat shawarma, and you eat like just like takeout and like we all do that you know like we all like 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 a quick lunch that's not going to break the bank you know and it's like it's forcing in a way you to write about what is already a common dining experience even pre-covid absolutely and i think if you look back on the the other three best new restaurants lists i've done at esquire i did make a concerted effort to have our list be more democratic and more inclusive and everything. And that's why I've liked your list so Thank much. You. I mean, but I think everyone has, I think yeah. Kushbu has and Jordana before her at food and wine. And I mean, they, that's, that's just a, a movement, you know, in the food world. Thank God. Um, and it's how you're right. It's how I eat. I mean, another example, one of the places I've included on our Esquire list is goose feather here in Terrytown. I live five yes. minutes from goose feather. Now, Dale Taldi. Dale Taldi is, is a great chef. So that's not, uh, that's not in question. I mean, people respect his talents and, um, he, you know, he was in Brooklyn. Now he's opened a place up here in suburbia, you know, in Westchester County. Some people are probably like, no way. That, I mean, that can't possibly listen. You know, when I decided to include that in best new restaurants, it was during the summer or maybe, you know, like late spring, when I realized that my family had gotten takeout from there like 10 times. <laughs> I was just like, listen, man, the takeout is so freaking great. Like, I mean, these chicken wings, we crave them all the time. The noodles, the crab rice, the supreme rice. Why is it that we want this takeout so bad? Like, I mean, I've also eaten there and I've eaten outside. They have a big lawn. It's a really nice looking setup. It's We're actually, Dale, Dale is actually one of the last people I met with live for this podcast. He wasn't the last one. I already told you that story, but um, I went up to Goose Feather and I was just blown away by how beautiful a restaurant yeah. it is. I mean, it is, it is stunning. Like it, you know, like it doesn't look not, and this is not a knock on Westchester County or Tarrytown or anything, but it looks like something you would find in a glossy magazine like Esquire. That's what it looks like. It I looks know. like it belongs there. Look, man, I'll, get, I'll always be honest with, with Rob Petron. So I mean, to be honest, it's like I, when that first opened before the pandemic and everything, but not that far before it. My my wife went to Goose Feather with her parents who were visiting from Los Angeles. And she came back and, and she was like, Jeff, this place is great. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, uh, maybe a little skeptical. Not again because of Dale, but just because, you know, we we learn to accept a certain level of disappointment here in Westchester County. You have people like Michael Salakis who come up here and they do great work, but you also have celebrity chefs 
sometimes you come up here and phone it in, you know? So, yeah. And she said, no, that's Dale's baby. Like that restaurant is his baby. Let me tell you before the, before the shutdowns, whenever I I went there three times, maybe and ate inside and he was always there. I mean, he didn't know I was coming or something. He, he, you know, no, that's his, that's his own, uh, as of right now, if I'm not mistaken, that's his only restaurant. Yeah. Like that's, that's, he's putting everything into that right now. Yeah, He really cares. And, 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 you know, over the summer I went back, uh, when they finally are having outdoor dining, look, they did the temperature test. They insisted you wear a mask. There were, they, you were ushered back. There were, there were all these routes where you could walk and everything. I mean, they seemed really strict about it, which I admire. And that's certain that, you know, that's going to be a factor in terms of how we pick these places. Um, so they had these corn ribs, you know, they sliced a corn cob in a certain way so that, you put these kind of ribs of kernels into, I, I believe they deep fry them, take them out and they've curled and crisped up. And then he would dust them with Chinese five spice powder. And he had this brown butter lobney that you kind of dredge them in. And Toby and I were like, Oh man, this is like, the best. <laughs> this is the best summer dish I've had in a long time. You know, and it, and it was, you know, a, a Chinese influence, but also just kind of Hudson Valley farm to table. Um, so, you know, if anybody comes to me and says, what the hell, goose feather? Really? I'm like, I'm telling you, make the trip. If any of you Brooklyn, you know, food critics, come on up here, make the trip. If you're concerned, as we should, you know, be about the, the virus, then eat in your car. I mean, I'm telling you, you're going to love it. So, um, and the weird thing is I've probably eaten at that restaurant now 25 times if we factor in all the takeout. <laughs> and yeah. the only times I got stuff and ate in my car. Um so a lot of times with, for these lists, because of budgets and the limits of time and the limits of one's body, you only go to a place once, right? It's just the way it is. You know, you're only in Houston for two days and you go once. Um, but this place I went over and over and I was never disappointed. So, so finally, yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's got the, the Jeff Gordon near stamp of approval. And, <laughs> you know, I was talking before about how the list made me feel a little like resentful this year and it made me resentful in another way too. And and the, the way it made me resentful is that we shouldn't be here. Like we shouldn't be in this exact predicament. Like, right. look, the global pandemic was going to rage on no matter what, but like restaurants shouldn't have to choose whether to shut their dining rooms and not make any money. Cause like, like there are some restaurants that they, 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 they can't, shut their doors because they will be out on the street. Like that is a truth for so many of these mom and pops um, or, you know, put people at risk potentially by opening their dining room doors. Like, like the government like needed to do and needs to do more. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. And that, and that's why, you know, it's not really up to me uh, to decree what these restaurants should do. But I mean, ideally, you know, the message of this list is not, okay, here are great restaurants. Everybody flood them. <laughs> no. What would, I mean, ideally, all of these restaurants would be helped through this incredibly challenging period. And then when we have a vaccine and it's safe, then you all flood these wonderful yes. restaurants and show your support and get your neighborhood, you know, humming again. I mean, you know, I think sometimes there's this strange interpretation of it is like you seem to be encouraging people to go to restaurants i'm like well i'm not no we want to honor people who are struggling right now who are doing wonderful work and and we hope that this little shot in the arm might help them get through this but you know um 
I mean, like Kalaya, our number one, which is in Philadelphia. It's a Thai restaurant. Um, and what's kind of lovely about that pick is uh, my editor, Kevin Sintamon, went with me. We happened to be in Philadelphia for the Philly Chef Conference together. And we went to Kalaya with uh, Bo Beck, who's this famous Danish chef, and uh, Andrew Friedman. Uh, who does a podcast as well, and uh, also also a friend of the show, yeah, and, and just a friend, Jason Tazaro, who's a sommelier and writer, and um, you know, we just kind of were all there for this conference, and we went together, and we had basically this just this party of flavor and you know wit uh, from Chef Knock. It was like the greatest experience, and um, in the you know since then, Kalaya has has evolved. At one point, it was kind of like a sandwich shop. Um, they they've they've changed the menu they've they've you know and and to me that doesn't change our uh decision to pick it as number one you know like it, it, we're not expecting our number one to be you know le bernardin at its peak right now right <laughs> that's not the but, point you know like but let me ask you this about what you, yeah let me ask you this because i've always wondered this so obviously we're all you know people that can be influenced by varying different circumstances and how we see the world and how we see things. And so yeah. you described that meal and you described it, you, you're hanging out with a, like a, like a, like a nice big group of really good friends and thoughtful food people. And yeah. I wonder like in general, like if you, if you had had that, if you'd only eaten there once and it was just you how it might have influenced the way you saw the restaurant because there's mm. the, obviously like I think about like I just was looking at my phone trying to remember the name of the restaurant like I ate at a couple of years ago Ugly Baby in Brooklyn I don't know if you've been yeah. the Thai restaurant Fantastic. and I went with and I went with one of my best friends and we just like and, and it was just the two of us guys night out and it was just like so much fun because we're all like sweating and having fever dreams and people are <laughs> and it's crazy because you know now you think about like in COVID like tables of strangers were sharing food because they're like dude you have to try this and it was like it influenced the way I saw the experience as like I get elevated it in my head bingo I, I, I think that's a very perceptive question very profound and maybe something I would normally want to dodge. But the truth is, there's a radical subjectivity to these things. Let's just admit it. You're coming to the table with your own passions, your own background, your own blind spots. I grew up in L.A. eating a lot of Thai food. So I, I am already inclined to love great Thai food, you know. Um, Kevin Sintumang, my editor, is Thai American. His family owns Thai restaurants. Um that doesn't mean we're going to pick Kalaya, but it just... You might be harder on it. We might be harder on it. It's just that it is a factor. Like, it plays into that well of memories, for me, I know. Like, it plays into flavors that I remember from my teen years. And, you know, I. but, but, but more importantly, your point, like, who you decide to go with is going to have an impact on how much you enjoy the place. And often, it's very arbitrary. I mean, I went to Knoxville, Tennessee once to check out a restaurant called J.C. Holdway that we included in Esquire list. It was a great place. But I, I, I went and I literally met up. It was like a blind date. I met up with somebody who was a friend of a friend of a friend. And uh, she was super intelligent. We had a great conversation. And then we parted ways. It was like, good night. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, a little more forced in terms of conversation because it was like, oh, so where did you grow up? And what do you, you know? Whereas uh, Kalaya was, 
you know, people I know are going to be passionate about food and are ready to kind of throw down. Last year, Seven Reasons uh, in Washington, D.C. was my number one. I happened to go there with Bobby Hahn and Paul Almanza, who are two very old friends of mine, who I hadn't seen in a long time. Bobby and Paul I know from college. But Paul, I even know from high school and junior high. We grew up together in San Marino, California. So, I mean, this is a kid that I, 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 he goes back to when we were, you know, 11 years old or something, you know, and, and I hadn't seen him in years. And it's very emotional to see these guys. And um, the food was amazing. The cocktails were amazing. But it, it's informed by that, that there, there's this emotional bond that I feel with these dudes. And uh, Angler, the year before in San Francisco, again, I went with some close friends. And, you know, so... That's a funny question. I mean, there's places that be just because of circumstances, I ended up going by myself. Um, but I will say that in the context of this pandemic, that was flipped a little because I am never fucking alone right now. <laughs> <laughs> never. <laughs> just, oh, I know the feeling. I've got two know, bedroom apartment I've in Brooklyn. 17 kids or whatever it is, you know, like, you know. I'm in a rented house, you know, I have toddler twins. Um, my wife uh, is here sometimes. My 14-year-old, my he kind of goes back and forth. But, um, you know, um, it's a full house, uh, we, you know. And, um, and I'm, 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 a, I'm a fairly solitary fellow. Uh, I like to read. I love this line of work because I'm on planes and trains a lot. And I can read books and be alone. And I, I send out postcards to people, which I've written about. I like to write my postcards and, um, you know, well, this has been a little challenging for someone. Oh, my temperament. preach into the choir, man. Yes. You know what I've had to start doing? Like, like I, I took up meditation in February and I literally now, I, cause like the only time I can find quiet in the house is like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And it's yeah. like, there's no point in meditating before bed. Like to me, that's something you want to do earlier in the day, right. get you kind of framed. I, like I start to fall asleep at night. I, I've, I've started meditating in my car. Yeah. Like I literally have to go to my car because I can't find a space in my apartment to find quiet. Yeah. It's I, killing me. Kevin Sintemong, my editor, he 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 works um on Esquire stuff in his car parked in Brooklyn. He works <sighs> in his car. So it's crazy. You know that <laughs> so um so we're not like for instance, this was not under consideration for the list because it's not new, but I at one point went to DC uh en route to Charlotte and I went to Central Lena. Uh which is an unbelievable restaurant from Amy Brandwine, uh, who I think is one of the great unrecognized, I mean, she's undersung rest, uh, chefs in America. I think she deserves a lot more attention. Her restaurant, Picolina, did make our list. That's her newer one. But I I never really had the full experience at Central Lena. So I just walked from my hotel. It was like two blocks. And I sat down, again, outside, masked, the whole thing. And let me tell you, I almost wept. I realized it was the first time I'd been alone in a long, long time. The food was exquisite, but it was more than that. I was so grateful for the silence, you know, <laughs> and like, yes. And also to enjoy a bowl of Amy Brandwine's pasta by myself. Yes. <laughs> like, I, I, one of my favorite things to do sometimes is to go belly up at a bar by myself, oh. you know, bring a book, bring a, bring a, bring my journal, write some thoughts down, nice. eat, have a drink and just kind of have 30 to 45 minutes, like 
by myself. Like I, I'm totally with you on that. I'm actually curious this last year, cause it's been such a weird year, especially for the, the job that you do. How has your relationship with restaurants and the people who work in them, the people who run them changed? Huh? Wow. I, I think that I look, we've, we've been, we've been hit by so many news reports over the, over the years, um, that have, um, news reports of different varieties that have eroded my uh, reflexive reverence for chefs. I think we all have, you know, finally moved away from the, the sort of rock star chef on the pedestal thing. Uh, and that's uh, instructive and welcome. I mean, you know, they're, they're just human beings. At the same time, I, I do find myself feeling so much, respect for the way they're imagining themselves and enterprising themselves through this challenge. You know, it's, 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 uh, inspiring to behold, you know, and, and I, I, I see that they're like basically faced with an existential threat and they're just improving every step of the way, you know, whether it's blue Hill or stone barns or it's field trip. You know, it could be super expensive place or a casual place. They're they're hustling. They're trying to figure it out. And I, you know, I I, I will always respect that. You know, like I went to this place, Mokio, uh, in the East Village, and it was um, I ate by myself actually. My number two, uh, Lee and Louise, and my number three, Mokio, I ate by myself. You know, so. Maybe it shows you it was different here. Right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really liked eating by myself. And uh, Chef K. Hune's food is so incredible that I really like just enjoying it alone and hoovering it, you know, and then walking back to Grand Central. But here's the thing. I go to I go to Mokio. It's on uh, St. Mark's Place, and uh, which is weird. I don't know why it's on that street. Like, it should be in the Flatiron District or the West Village. It, it's just not really. Isn't that where, isn't that where, Criff Dog is, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, it's or just, near there. It's like a party, yeah. you know. It's like a bacchanal. Please don't tell. Street. Yeah, it didn't seem right for this level of cooking, but you know, it is where. Anyway, the place was empty. Okay, I mean, it was empty. I ate it. I ate outside, but all the outdoor tables were empty. I went early. I will give you that, but I was like, "Wow, look at this!" Like she and her team are putting so much effort into making this food. And, and it is an exquisite, inventive level of cooking. Like what Mokyo is, is like basically Korean fusion, where it's Korean, it's tapas or banchan, you could say, that's expressed with notes of Peru and, and Latin America and Portugal and Spain and even the Middle East. And if you tell me that in the abstract, I don't really want that. <laughs> it sounds like something that won't work, right? And yet she's so gifted that she's finding pathways of flavor, you know, that 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 suddenly on your palate make perfect sense. And I thought, my God, I wanna I wanna advocate for this person. I wanna advocate for this place. This the this is a place that in the midst of enormous challenges is doing incredible work. And I wanna stand up for them, you know. So um, that's our number three. I, I think I think I found myself really wanting to 
um, sing, sort of sing for the underdog this year, you know? And I, and I, I, I like imperfection. I think you've always, I think you've always done that. Yeah, though. maybe. I mean, like I really fell in love with, um, Da Toscano in the West village. And, you know, I'd like, if you like, if you know, the singers I like, like, it's often like Patty Smith, cat power, uh, Nina Simone, who are brilliant visionary people, but not perfect. Like, I don't like perfect voices, right? And Yes. Um, Don Toscano, in some ways, is very quirky and, and improv. And, you know, it's like Italian food, but they might serve you like a foie gras donut with powdered sugar as an appetizer. Um, Imperfections are human. You know, like, like I, like I, you know, I, the word gets overused, you know, rustic, but like, I don't need everything to be so precise. Like, I just want it to taste good. Well, in this year in particular, I I guess I I found myself more inclined to celebrate imperfection, that the the imperfection and and human uh, hustle of it all resonated even more deeply with me. So I did end up going back a second time to Da Toscano with my friend Clancy Miller, who's a food writer and editor. And, um, uh, you know, uh, our server, I actually remember her name was Sabrina. She came up to the table and she told us about a couple specials and she ran back in the kitchen. She came back. She's like, I'm so sorry. Those specials don't exist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) now in many cases, this would be seen as a gaffe, you know, a mistake with two food writers to do the, you know, um, but she's like, look, Michael Toscano is always imp- improvising. It's kind of jazz with the menu. And I just showed up and it turns out he's changed the menu. He's doing something different. So I apologize. It's actually not um, beef cheeks. It's duck uh, that he did. You know? And um, particularly this year, I like that. And by the way, the yeah. duck dish turned out to be completely rad. It was incredible. Um, and um also, Madeline Maldonado of Da Toscano is our beverage director of the year. You know, we have these kind of awards. Uh, and, you know, I just saw the way she engages with people, not just myself, but also Clancy and also people around us outside. Don't worry um, about um, about wine and what. And I, I could I could see that uh, that narrative connectivity she has that I find in the best sommeliers you know uh jorge riera at um previously at wild air and now at frenchette pascaline le peltier a lot of my a lot of the wine folks i really love are people who can awaken it in my mind like they can express what i'm about to experience and why that will connect with this dish and uh it's it's more than the list you know it's a it's a talent it's a it's a communicative skill and and um she has that. So, yeah. So it's like, well, and I mean, as you probably saw, our chef of the year doesn't even have a restaurant. I am sure that's a first for Esquire. <laughs> People can probably hear this. I, I'm a little, I'm an effusive person. I'm a, I'm a kind of an emotional person, as my, my family could tell you. I don't keep it tamped down, you know, like, and so what I feel about these places is a form of love. When I when I when I really develop a crush on them, it's 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 serious and and I it's always that idea of I want to go back, you know, like I want to go back to Leah and Louise so much. I would prefer not to drive all the way to Charlotte. <laughs> I would like to fly, but uh, I'm aching to go back to Picolina in D.C. I'm aching to go. In fact, I have gone back to Dato's I went back to Nami Nori 
in the West Village just a couple of days ago just because I wanted to. You know, and when when you when you go there just because you want to, you know, it tells you. Something. And look, and look, I think that's why I said at the beginning, you're one of my favorite food writers, Jeff, because I think you make it look easy. I know it's not easy, but you make it look easy, and you could hear that in the way you talk because you you talk like you're writing. You paint such a picture, and you could hear the enthusiasm, and it's genuine for these restaurants. So, listen. Make sure to check out Esquire's Best New Restaurants List 2020 out now in newsstands. Thanks. Newsstands. Gosh, does anybody even use newsstands anymore? I just said newsstands. I dated myself. Online, people. Go online or, or get a subscription. Better yet, do it that way. Is a good is a good way to do it. It's, it's affordable. Yeah. And it comes to your door. It's socially distanced. Yeah. You know, there you go. Jeff, thank you so much. Thanks, and. If this is the, your first time listening to Hot Takes on a Plate, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to rate the show five stars, of course. Leave a comment as well. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V. Check them out at B-L-E-A-V.com. You can also find me on social media at Rob Patron TV on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, ciao.